Don't you love it when that bass drops in? Because you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Gamefly and Brooklinen. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who joins me in asking you to just take one second right now. Just pause the podcast right now. Just take one second and call your senator. Call your senator. It's so easy. 202-224-3121. Ask them to vote no on Graham Cassidy. I'm sick of this agnostic stuff, Christian. We've been saying, you've been saying, to your credit, if you like it, it's cool. It's no, it's not. Tell, ask them, beg them. Nobody likes this thing. Everybody hates this thing. It's bad for America. Just take one second. 202-224-3121. It's so easy to just ask your senator. You know, next week, Christian Spicer is our 200th episode of DLC. So if anybody wants to give us an early present, take a second, call your senator. It's super easy. Get your voice heard. Hello, Christian Spicer. Hello, Jeff Kanata. To be fair, what I had been saying is if you are happy with what your senator is doing regarding Graham Cassidy, call and let them know. And if you are unhappy, call and let them know. Because I live in California, and I still think it's important to call my senators and tell them that I support the work they're doing okay, and to help enough. champion them. Um, but uh, as, as f- multiple family members in the medical profession, uh, from doctors all the way up to administration to uh, just a person that checks you in at reception... Um, yeah, healthcare is very important to me. <laughs> well, it always it always guarantees us at least one nasty review on iTunes when we bring up anything remotely political. But guess what, folks? This is real important to a whole lot of people. There's not a single medical organization that thinks this is a good idea for America. So let's just, as a group, maybe do something. 202-224-3121 gets you your senator. Well, All also, right. real quick, though, uh, when you're listening to this, the bass might not be the only thing dropping, you know? So let's enjoy... Video games while we can. (laughs) It's a whole new world. But luckily, we're going to push on. We're going to get to episode 200, Christian. So help me next week. But we got an episode 199 that's going to be a hopping. And this is the last time we'll talk about anything other than games. We've got lots of games to talk about. We have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC stands for Droids Listen to Corey. Because we have the community manager from the tiny robot company, Anki, who you probably know from Gamers with Jobs Conference Call, the podcast, and PC Gamer. He is coming back to our show after a long absence, too long, our friend, Corey Banks. Hey, Corey. Hey. Thanks for having me, guys. It's very kind of you. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for being here. Man, I have so many fond memories of, of DLC. When you told me it was almost the 200th episode, I was like, ooh. I'm very excited about this. No, I told you it was the 200th episode because I thought it was. I was trying and, to cover uh, for Christian, you, Jeff. Come on. Christian literally this morning corrected me and said, no, this is episode 199. And I felt like a big doofus. Well, I think it's like our 203rd. I don't know. I need to look. I think we did a bunch of like bonus E3 things. And I don't know how those got counted. But like officially on the website, this week's will say 199. So that's what I'm going by. I mean, have you run the numbers on that? That's a long time. 
It is a two, while. 200 episodes is quite the milestone. That's like, I think it's something like 14 years of downloadable content for your ears. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the math on that, but I'm pretty sure for, it feels like 14 years. That's for sure. But uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about that next week. I'm actually open to suggestions if anybody in the audience wants some special thing to happen next week. I don't know what we'll do. I wasn't going to do anything special this week when I thought it was 200. So you know. <laughs> Jeff Canada records entirely from VR. There you go. Ooh, that would be special for me. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump into things. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, some fun news. So let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. A lot of cool people there hanging out, talking about stuff. Why not join them? Get in on the convo, suggest stories, and talk about whatever you like over there with cool folks. Corey, you are our guest, so uh, you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Man, I got to be honest with you. Like, I want to tell you that the biggest story of the week is that the Duke is returning, but it's <laughs> obviously, it's obviously Fortnite versus PUBG and the whole concept of Battle Royale as something that can be protected versus the birth of a new genre. You just, uh, you owe both companies $100, Corey, just for saying VR. I can't even say it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're liable. Sorry. Yeah, so for That's folks fine. not uh, not following this brouhaha, uh, PUBG, of course, a game we've talked about a lot, uh, a game that a lot of people are playing. It actually broke the record for most concurrence on Steam. Uh, it is a massive hit, and it is uh, this battle royale, uh, last man standing, 100 people enter, one gets the chicken dinner, everybody else starts a new game. And a lot of <laughs> a lot of people uh, a lot of people are playing it. A lot of people are loving it. A lot of people are streaming it. It's the most streamed game on Twitch, and a lot of people are copying it. A lot of people want to get in on that b- battle royale mode. It seems like a fun mode. H one Z one has a mode like that. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Five has a mode well, like that. So, so to be fair, the the mode actually predates PUBG, right? Mm-hmm. Because what I think his name is Brandon Green. The the player unknown guy like he right. he worked for h1z1 he did a mod for either arma or daisy i believe right. like this is his third iteration of this right so that's i think that's kind of their statement for why they own this but of course it's it's bigger and it's been around a lot longer than PUBG has been this amazing phenomenon and clearly one of the games of of all time yeah, and and I think clearly the game that popularized this or you know brought it to the brought it to the mainstream in a in a way that none of the others had to this point. Um but here comes Fortnite, which is a game uh, I actually really liked, has talked about on the show quite a bit. Uh they the guys at Epic Games released a video saying, "Hey, we're bringing a battle royale mode to Fortnite. It's called Fortnite Battle Royale. It's going to be free. We're bringing it to consoles. It's arriving on consoles before Player Unknown's Battlegrounds arrives on consoles. It's free. And uh, here's here's a cool video of what it's going to be like. And not only that, but we love PUBG. This is what, we love H one Z one and PUBG. Like this is why we were inspired to do this. PUBG, 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 SEO, PUBG, PUBG, PUBG. 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 Like they said it so many times, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So evidently the folks at Blue Note who are, excuse me, Blue Hole, Blue Note's Blue a jazz label. Here we are publicly saying the word Blue Hole over and over and over. Like, yeah. That feels yeah. not safe for work. <laughs> well, that's what they're called, Blue Hole. Uh, they were not too happy with this. Um, and they released a statement saying they were going to pursue legal action or at least we're going to review their options in in contemplating further action. Uh, there was actually an update, a clarification that they published today, because this was kind of all happening over the weekend. Uh, last, a little end of last week, over the weekend, people were kind of voicing their opinions, myself included, over on Newest, Latest, Best. I think it's ridiculous. And I want to hear what you guys think. But this morning... Wait, hold on. Uh, Sorry. I, I, before you leave your opinions, because oftentimes you're too good of a host and you ping to other people... What did you think is ridiculous? Uh, blue hole, blue hole, blue hole, blue hole. Corey, blue hole. Corey's blue hole. Oh, Cor- oh, please, please. Or, or let's uh, never say Corey's blue hole. Ever again. Or Corey's <laughs> Fortnite. Is it Corey's Fortnite or Corey's blue hole? Like which part? Is your I problem think. Uh, I think that I, I think it's pretty clear that this is a genre now, and 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 I think that if PUBG, you know, is upset about people having a battle royale mode, uh, then I think Doom has a big a lawsuit for all the death matches that are out there because yeah. doom invented death match, but th- let's go move on to, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure you guys have opinions, but it kind of makes my opinion moot this morning because there was a clarification. They said, Hey, so, um, we weren't mad about the fact that battle Royale is a genre and we don't think we own it. We're mad that Epic, who is the, uh, maker of the engine we li- licensed, the Unreal 4 engine that we built this game on, we're mad that they're doing it because as the engine owner and creator and uh, updater, maintainer, uh, they can mess with the engine and uh, disenfranchise us or disadvantage us uh, at any point to advantage their game that is in direct competition with ours. So, Corey... What is your take on this whole mess? I hadn't read that update. That's interesting. They're being very careful in their language here, but are they basically saying that because they got the the lights the engine from Epic, that Epic could somehow goof with their build and make their game look bad and Fortnite look good? Is that kind of at a basic level their concern? Yeah, here's here's what they uh here's what they said exactly. There were other Battle Royale game modes earlier this year that were released, The Last Man Standing in GTA V's Battle Royale game mode. We never raised an issue, and I think it's great that there's more competition and everybody should be able to create their own Battle Royale game mode. It's not about the idea itself. It's about Epic Games, and that wasn't clear in our initial press release. They said, uh, Battle Royale is... uh, We're not claiming any ownership on that. The improvements made by Bluehole internally to Unreal Engine 4 could leak out, benefiting other studios. They could also be – Epic could be making engine improvements that benefit Fortnite, which won't be shared with PUBG. It says – and we are also upset that they – that they used PUBG in their promotional video. He says, it was in their promotional video that was posted on Twitter, and they openly mentioned that they were fans of PUBG – and so they feel like that some of their fans came back to them and said, oh, it's awesome. We can play PUBG inside Fortnite. And they're like, well, you, you can't. Uh, it's just a mode. So I huh. don't know if so, this is all like after the fact kind of 
moving the goalposts a little bit oh, or I'm sure some of it is. I mean, because they 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 were no one's favorite developer after this all happened, right? Like to to have them come out and say so. Okay, let's. I, there's one small bit in here that I want to address first, which is the the idea that Epic actively referenced PUBG when they announced their own their free battle royale uh, game mode update thingy, whatever, right? Because I think that's actually amazing for a developer to go, to go out and actually point to their reference and give credit to another developer. Cause like, just like in politics, you never want to name your, your opponent. Right. But yeah. Epic did that. Epic went out and said, you know, PUBG is fantastic. We love this game. We think player unknowns. Awesome. We think oh God, blue hole is doing a really great job. <laughs> and, and we wanted to do a mode like this and put our own spin on it. And I think that's pretty amazing. Now it, I think it's strange that you you don't often see in video games, especially at kind of this higher tier of development, you don't see a lot of people actively mentioning their competitors, and you don't see a lot of people saying that they're worried about their competitors. Like, when we're going to get to Divinity here pretty quickly, I think. But Divinity Original Sin launched, and you saw a bunch of computer role-playing game developers go out and actively congratulate them and talk about how great of a job they're doing. And that's because, by and large, the video game industry and the, the people who make these video games all friggin love one another okay so i i feel like a lot of this is probably pushed from some sort of corporate leadership thing on the blue hole side so i don't want to hold anybody like like i don't want to hold brendan green super accountable for this like maybe this is just because the higher-ups were nervous but i think it's good that epic actively acknowledged who they were who they were referencing and i think I think in the 90s, like when Doom was a thing and, and the Doom killer genre was born, you never saw that. Nobody openly referenced id Software and the fact that they made the greatest game of all time, which is Doom 1994. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's really good. I think a lot of this is is probably walking back from their position because they, they took a lot of flack over the weekend. Uh, I think ultimately PUBG doesn't get hurt because it's a phenomenal game. Right. And my only question is like, as we see the genre emerge, uh, like what, what is it that people do to differentiate one another? Um, and I think that I, Fortnite has some interesting differentiators, right? All that construction stuff that's going to be absolutely. in their mode is, is very different. Yeah. I, and I, you know, it's, it, they didn't go after GTA five when they put a uh, battle Royale mode in theirs because no one wants to take on take two software. Can we just be really clear for a second? <laughs> yeah. Like grand theft auto has all the money and you don't want to mess with them. Um, so I, I, I think it's a weird. It, the the actual battle between the two developers is strange. I think it's all going to blow over. I think what's more interesting to me is it's not very often that we actually get to see firsthand and so upfront uh, a new genre of gameplay emerge. Whether that's you know the way uh, Capture the Flag came up in, in, during the the Quake days or. Uh, the the MOBA kind of environment that started right. with Defense of the Ancients and then became Dota 2 and League of Legends. Like, we don't ever see this happen happen. Like, we're watching this happen in real time. And I think that's that's really the most fascinating part about this. Whether or not anyone has claim over the 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 mode, I think I have a, you know, I'd love to hear from Christian on this, but I have a feeling we all agree that no, probably not. People are Lots of people are going to try this and the market's going to decide who actually makes the best Battle Royale game. Yeah, I guess it's time for uh, Christian's legal minute, um, and I think I've been I've been working on a, a little theme song. Spicer like a, Esquire. 
Yeah, it's going to be uh, a recurring. It seems to be recurring. It happened last week. It's it's it. Legal issues are always uh, coming up, so we should probably have its own, its own theme song, right, Christian? I thought you were going to debut one. I thought one. Yeah. I thought you had one in the hopper that you're kind of stalling well, the queue to pull up. I'm gonna, no, I don't have. I don't have anything in the hopper. I'm just going to improvise one if that's cool with you. That's, I'm excited for episode 200 now when we get a polished version. <laughs> Christian's legal minute. It's probably going to be 30 minutes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's similar to my song for you, Jeff, where it goes, Jeff is so nice and kind, but he always slips something snarky in at the end. <laughs> you guys are nemeses for no reason. Like, this is... <laughs> This is real. Although I have to say, Christian, your your legal rant, uh, all all four hours of it last week was really good, and I, I did you. appreciate that. Thank you, I appreciate it. It's uh, I just look at it as like every time I don't say something during tabletop time, I'm building up minutes that I get. To <laughs> You're on. banking them. You're banking <laughs> minutes at the end of the show. <laughs> so legally, legally, there's nothing here, right? So my legal minute always starts with i am no longer an attorney anything i say is not legal advice cool great got it perfect um no there's nothing here it'd be very difficult i mean one they they didn't invent the genre and and two if you want to look cross uh media you know it's the hunger games it's i don't know what is it called a battle royale mode what is yeah, that based on <laughs> that's <laughs> right if anybody has a gripe right it's a freaking <laughs> battle royale movie who's like hey uh what are we chop liver over here I mean, I, I imagine there are specific mechanics of that, making that come to life in a video game that I don't know if you would say they'd be trademarked or copyrighted, but would definitely be things that would add kind so of flair to what technical stuff does. could be. Code could be um, like if they're doing something interesting to have 100 people concurrent on Unreal, which I heard when the game launched was difficult. Like if they've modified that, that can be. Um, but like the idea of of putting it together ideas can't be copyrighted right like um and so no there's nothing there uh i'd love to be wrong but no there's nothing there what i think is interesting going back to battle royale and PUBG is that they straight up have battle royale outfits in PUBG, right like Like from the movie from the movie like they don't (laughs) they call it like the cheerleader or whatever it is you know but it's like and they're not licensed; they're inspired by. Right. So, that, so I think that'd be Fortnite's uh, <laughs> claim too. What I do think is interesting here, though, that the from the legal side of things and just in general, where my brain went, is this idea of Epic as a publisher, developer, and middleware salesperson. And there's been complaints before. I think it was um, Dennis Didak. Didak. How do you say his last name? Oh, uh, no. Eternal Champion. Eternal Don't Champion. say his name too many times. This is like... Does he appear? Yeah, he'll show up. Yeah. Okay, great. Man. Talks about I'll, just the, call, uh, I'll call him... Uh, I'll call him Corey's Blue Hole from now on. Single console so, wait, future. <laughs> but no, he made he made claims that, you know, and they were kind of... I think they settled out of court. I don't remember exactly what happened with the case, but that Unreal, they weren't giving them the best version of the engine. Like, they were saving that for themselves, and Epic would put out the game that held all these bells and whistles, and then you as a person using, or a company using their engine to develop your game didn't have the access to all the same things that they had, and that wasn't fair because you weren't getting a full version of the engine, and I think seems, it is seems interesting. not true now. Just looking at how many games look exactly like Gears of War. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the cynical thing that Jeff was going to say. <laughs> well, okay, but so un- understanding all of that, like Fortnite is, from what I've heard, because I haven't played it, it's a it's a decent game, but it's no PUBG. Like, do we really think this free battle mo- royale mode is going to come out and suddenly 
get tens of millions of concurrent players the way PUBG has. That's that's the thing that over and above the legal issue about it, it's just in bad taste, right? It's just it's just poor taste of them to make a deal about this. It's like you're you are the big dog. Nobody is going to encroach on your turf. You are setting records. Everybody loves your game. People are going to be like, oh, I wasn't paying attention to Fortnite, but now that we can do PUBG well, inside it, it just seems... But that's like saying no one's going to pay attention to PUBG because it's a new game. Team Fortress is the king, baby. But PUBG well, wasn't... No, but no, but realistically, nobody should have paid attention to PUBG. It came, <laughs> out in, it came out in early access. It wasn't a finished game. And yet the kernel was so good there. It was the, the core of it was so amazing that it sold, I don't know, 11 billion copies before it was even done. Yeah. Like... It's it's a good game. It's a, I'm, and I'm bad at it, but I'm here to tell you that it's it's hard to believe that anybody wouldn't be calling this thing like the phenomenon of 2017. And there's no other mode in a competing game that's going to come out that topples this in the same way that like lots of people tried to do a Counter Strike mode, but nothing beats CS:GO for that, right? Like there are, there are these elements that are just that some developers do better than others, and the market eventually figures that out, right? But so, I, I do. Th- Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to bring... No, go ahead. Go ahead. You well, I just think to simplify this conversation, we've kind of gone all over the place. Uh, my understanding from what I've read and kept up with over the weekend and kind of following this, that it seems like... And, and this is not a, a legal case argument, but the problem here is that, that Blue Hole and PUBG have with this is this idea that... Epic was unclear in their messaging because I do think people were confused. People thought that, oh, PUBG would be a mode within Fortnite and that they were like, hey, it's not that. Don't do that. You, that's not it. We're not partners on this. And then the idea of they, they license the engine and they feel like they might not get the best version of the engine and that Epic might potentially do something to hinder the growth of their game while propping up theirs. To me, I feel like that is the core issue here more so than anything else we've kind of joked about or talked around. Yeah, yeah, in the chat room, uh, Gloaming Dusk says he thinks the first instance of bad taste was how much Fortnite mentioned PUBG in their announcement. Uh, Corey, you were saying you thought that was kind of a positive thing, like a honest kind of, you know, giving a shout out, uh, almost like a respect thing. But I mean, that's that's how I interpreted it, right? Because yeah. in in my opinion, I don't think that they were going, "Hey, PUBG's so cool. We just remade PUBG." Like I I think I read it as actually acknowledging your influences in the same way that like a, a great sci-fi author would do that for a classic sci-fi author or something like that. Um, or the, I can see like, how people would disagree with that though. If like the ads for it were like, Hey, did you like nightmare on Elm street? We're doing that, but ours is a clown. Yeah. Remember Tim Curry from, from your childhood? Well, we have a different approach, but it's still, it's still the same thing. Like it, I don't know. I, I really thought it was refreshing to see, a, a big AAA developer going like these guys did a really good thing, and so we're gonna try our attempt at it. And this is where that inspiration came from. There are a lot of other companies that would never do that, even though they see that kind of that they they see these things and they're inspired by them as well. They they don't want to acknowledge where it came from. Um, I, I'm sorry that this all turned really negative for for both sides. To be honest, because I think you're gonna end up with two really cool games for people to play. And obviously, more people will be playing PUBG, uh, but maybe maybe this is a window to success for Fortnite. Who knows? Uh, Stats one in the chat says, "Do you like gamers with jobs? DLC is the same thing." <laughs> it's so not. I mean, there's nobody who's anywhere near as personable and attractive as Jeff Kanata on the Gamers with Jobs conference oh, call. We've stop. Tried, 
We try. Julian Murdoch's close. He rocks that bald look. Pretty well, to be <laughs> fair, Jeff shouldn't be on the Gamers with Jobs podcast. That's why he's on DLC because we don't have jobs. So um... jobs are way overrated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Um, so it's not on here, and I apologize. I uh, but we can talk. It's not. It's not. A, I'm not dropping a huge surprise. Have you guys followed any of this stuff about Nintendo Switch carts and? publishers developers can put out their game on different size carts uh like the max size card is 32 gigs but you have games coming out now that are on like a nine gig cart and then require you to download the rest of the game online so an example would be nba 2k 18 when it comes out and i'm gonna get my numbers wrong so i apologize for that i was dealing with a, a faulty smoke detector and carbon monoxide detector too much information but that's where i was this morning instead of writing this into the outline uh nba 2k 18 it's currently only available on digital. It comes out on retail for the Switch uh, later in October. And when it comes out, I believe, you know, some of the game is on the cart and it's like a 10 gig cart. But then if you want to get the rest of it, it's like a 10 gig download that you need to pull from, you know, the Internet and store that on a micro SD card because it can't save directly onto the cart. So it's forcing you to buy an expansion. And then Doom I believe the news has come out that it is going to be just the single player on the cart and it's on like a 16 gig cart or something like that. But then you need to download if you want the multiplayer, which spoiler alert, you don't. Uh, <laughs> it's like a six gig download off the Internet. So the conspiracy theorists are saying and I, I think there's, you know, some if there's water, there's a leak, however that saying goes, uh, some evidence to suggest that, yeah, Doom could be on a 32 gig card. So could NBA 2K18, but developers and or publishers are trying to keep costs down by releasing it on the smallest card they can and then forcing users to go and download the rest. Now, before I open the floodgates for discussion on this topic that I'm springing on both of you, I would like to say that, yes, Xbox and PlayStation 4 oftentimes have sizable downloads that are required in addition to what is on the disc. What I think makes this instance a little different on the Switch is that it looks like, at least for these two games, the full game would have fit on a cart, but there it looks like there's evidence to suggest they're trying to keep costs down. Whereas in a disc, a disc is a disc is a disc, right? If you put 10 gigs on a disc, it doesn't cost you, it doesn't save you any money versus putting 14 gigs on that disc. Um, Corey, have you, did you hear anything about this? Have you seen this or do you have thoughts of what I've summarized? <laughs> uh, it's, I, I, you hear stuff like this come up all the time when people talk about like day one patches or having to do a big download before you can actually play the game that you purchased. And I, I, I come from a weird position where I don't feel like that ever bothers me that much. And I don't know if it's because I just, my internet's good enough for me or something. I've, I've, I, I've, I don't want to own a physical copy of a game pretty much ever. Hmm. Um, so I, I guess I guess my question when you you, you keep talking you keep mentioning pr- keeping the price down we'll never know the answer to this but if if they put all of it on a bigger sized cartridge for the switch would that have raised the price for consumers is what so I wonder could they pass that on or are we so price insensitive that if NBA 2k 18 came out the whole game on a 32 gig card could they say it's eighty dollars I think they'd have a hard time doing that even if they said but 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 it's because of this, and now you don't have to buy a micro SD card. I still think people would be pissed because they're like, "Well, on Xbox, yeah. it's sixty bucks," and you're seeing that with some of the indie games or some of the smaller games too that are coming to Switch, where it's like five or ten dollars more to get the physical edition because of that cart cost than it is to buy it 
on a, on another console. It's interesting. And, and I'm sure I'm sure the carts are actually more expensive to get than like a Blu-ray disc would be. Like right. when you when you think about just physical manufacturing, I getting one of those carts is just the the upfront manufacturing cost is probably a little bit more. I don't know what's what's downloading on a Switch like. Is it a real hindrance? I don't it's have no, a switch. It's not a, it's not a walk in the park. It's it, for some reason, my switch, everything else in my house, it loves the Wi-Fi. but switch. Like I can't download anything unless I'm standing next to my router. It's the weirdest thing. Okay. Um, well, then it's a cost issue too. Just like the idea that Xbox and PlayStation four come with at a minimum 500 gigs. And the most that a switch supports, I think is a 200 gig card, which a SD card, which is another $200. I'm making up numbers, but you know, in that ballpark. And so it's, Oh, it's because of the storage on the unit. Right. So oh. that's what the issue is, is like, I can't store all this stuff in to infinity and beyond. I have, I mean, I actually, you can to infinity and beyond cause you can swap out memory cards, but you have to buy memory cards and people feel like there's like six ways from Sunday that Nintendo is passing along the, the cost to them. I don't know. I think both things can be true. I think, uh, yes, it probably is a bit of a cost savings, but at the same time, I would, I think it's proof the, the, the situation on PlayStation and Xbox is proof that even if these developers sprang for larger SD cards or cart sizes, they would likely still require downloads when you buy them because that's just the way the world works now. That's just the way gaming works now is you – these guys – ship something and continue working on it. And then that extra stuff gets downloaded to you when you buy it. Uh, so I don't think that there's a magical fantasy world where you buy a cart and everything's on the cart because they gave you enough space to put it on the cart. I think it's just the realities of the way games are made now is you're going to be downloading some amount of stuff. Yeah, my favorite sassy comment uh, in the chat is from Stats1, and he says, <laughs> says, hey, the PS4 doesn't have a screen. I guess they're passing that ca- cost on to their consumers. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with a, an issue like this because I, I like downloading things. I like as much, as much of a bummer as it might be to sit down and have to wait five more minutes for like a Destiny 2 update to download. Like I would rather have the ability to get code fixed or patches or that sort of thing than not right think of all the glitches that we experienced during like the super nintendo days um i so i tend to be pro digital download instead of like put everything on the disc in the same way that like there was news that just broke today about fallout 4's game of the year edition not having the dlc on the disc it gives you the codes instead i'm that annoying guy who's like that's great that's super cool because if i have some of these dlcs for the game i'll give the codes to friends and I don't mind downloading games because I don't. I'm not currently under like what a, a Pandora's box, though, right? Because yeah, then it, then we get into the big issue of well, you can't give the game to it. Like when I bought Taken King on Destiny, it was just vanilla Destiny and then codes for Taken King, yeah. and so it was like what? Like it was like this weird thing where I like if I when I finish Taken King, you can't trade it. You know, it gets into that whole discussion of trading it in, giving it to a friend. I bought a physical thing for a reason and I didn't download, I didn't go onto the PlayStation Store and just download the expansion that way. Um, I think that's you know, it's a larger conversation that will be 30 minutes, Jeff, so I, I'm okay tabling that one. But <laughs> Generally speaking, I like I like being able to, to download things and I think I'm lucky for not having an issue. I think it's so easy to get games these days. Uh, compared to how it used to be that I'd rather take those trade-offs. I'm in the same camp and there's people in the chat right now who are, who are pointing out the fact that we are 
you know, sitting in a pretty privileged position. People in Australia, for example, have caps and there are people who deal with a lot of data issues that I'm not dealing with. Sounds like Corey's not dealing with. And so it's hard for me to get all riled up about something when it's like, ah, just, you know, take me an extra five minutes. I'll go make a sandwich before I start up my game. But so speak with your wallet. Don't buy that game. Yep. You know, that's how you do it. Yeah. Uh, my story of the week, you guys have left me a couple of juicy ones. Uh, I definitely want to talk about the Duke, but uh, we got to talk about uh, Tokyo Game Show. Tokyo Game Show happened, and uh, Sony made some cool announcements. There was a big press conference, and Sony uh, announced some release dates. They announced a January 26th release date for Monster Hunter World, which is pretty exciting, although the PC version is not going to be uh, released alongside Xbox One and PlayStation 4. Um, they announced a new game, Left Alive, which is, we don't really know exactly what it is because it's it was the prequel a prequel to Left for Dead. Mm. Or, or uh, <laughs> Left to what's that game called? Left Left for Dead. Left yeah, for Dead. Uh, you were left alive, and then you were left for dead. It, what the takeaway is? We left you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were not taken. Liam Neeson is not involved. You were left. <laughs> It is evidently a survival action shooter. Uh, the team that is working on it is notable. It's the director of Armored Core, the designer on Metal Gear Solid, and the uh, artist from Ghost in the Shell, Arise, and Mobile Suit Gundam. This guy's the designing the mechs that will be in the game. So a, a really solid pedigree on this release. We don't really know much. There was a teaser that looked kind of cool, this post-apocalyptic burnout city with helicopters. Uh, and they also announced that uh, a couple of games are coming back, including Final Fantasy IX, which was like a Beyonce drop. They said you can download it right now. Meow, meow, meow. Um, and the Shadow of the Colossus remake, not to oh, be confused with the remaster that already happened. Looks so good. The remake got a new trailer that is really beautiful. You're right. Uh, and then the coolest thing on in my book a game that I have a very soft spot in my heart for from years ago, Zone of Enders, Second Runner, is coming back. They're updating it with 4K graphics resolutions and textures for PlayStation 4, and it's also going to have PSVR support. It it's a is. mech game in VR. Meow, meow, meow. So, um, <laughs> uh, and it's also coming out on VR on PC, so that's pretty cool too. So uh, what do you think, Corey? What, what is uh, anything – you want to pick out of these announcements? Yeah, I mean, on, honestly, the Shadow of the Colossus remake is the the big hit for me. They're, everything looks really cool here. I'm intrigued by Left Alive. Um, I think Sony's really good at giving us just a little bit about a game and then really stringing our attention along in a way that I don't find super annoying. So I'm happy to wait for that. But Shadow of the Colossus is what I'm most excited for here. Yeah, it looks, it looks really beautiful. And I think we're going to see more of that. We went through this cycle of a bunch of remasters, which is literally taking the exact assets from a game and up them so that they look a little crisper on modern technology. But this is not using a single asset from even the remaster that they did just a couple of years ago. This is a complete remake of the game with all new graphics, all new assets. And it, it really looks like a beautiful modern game. And what better game to deserve this than Shadow of the Colossus, a work of art, in my opinion. I mean, my my big hope here is that it's optimized for 4K on a PS4 Pro, and like I would actually buy a PS4 Pro, or or whatever they do next for this, because yeah. I think that game would look gorgeous on a 4K screen. No doubt, uh, Christian. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to like here. Um, and I, Corey, you know, you mentioned how Sony's good at that 
uh, leak or not leak uh, trickled out uh, announcement. Speaking of recording this on Monday with uh, Red Dead Two news looming <laughs> on Thursday, I think they're announcing stuff. Yeah, not not today. That's another company that is great at that, and I I do I think Sony has learned from them because they have Rockstar has been so good at that, right? It's like totally. I wish they show us more. But also, I'm so happy right now. Like, what's well, counter to uh, the the really popular strategy right now that Bethesda did, which is like, you know, here's these games you've never seen before, and they're all going to be out this year, or they're all out in the next three months. Like, instead which of I like to, like, yeah, press it, yeah. But for me, the big thing, I, I'm excited to see how Monster Hunter World is received by fans because it does seem like it's the you know it's the Western take on Monster Hunter, and so it's it, it runs that risk of appealing to the hardcore and there's a lot of monster hunter fans out there but hopefully you know bringing people like us in that have been i've I've been monster hunter curious played it on uh vita and was just like i can't (laughs) um but will this be the game that pulls me in because i also didn't think i'd play as much PUBG as i did you know like there's always some version of a genre that finally clicks with you yeah, I agree. I'm hoping that's me too, because I have friends who are super into Monster Hunter. And I played Dauntless and I was like, maybe this is the Western version. And that game is just not ready yet. It's really early, early access. But uh, hopefully, you know, January 26, not too far off. Interesting that it's missing holiday, but not by much. And that's a pretty good window to be in, honestly. Yeah. Like you miss a lot of this is a really packed holiday season. For sure. Like, it's, I mean, with Destiny 2 out, and I've already said it's my favorite game of the year. Uh, <laughs> No, we'll talk about Divinity in a second. Uh, it's good that they're they're actually carving out a space for themselves, I think. Yeah. And Japanese holiday isn't... I mean, I know this is a Western take, but Monster Hunter is very big in the Japanese market. It's a zillion copies in the, in the yeah. Japanese market, too. Yeah. It's different. They don't need to hit Christmas the same way that you know might be important here. Uh, I do want to bring up the Duke, because uh, Corey was yes! excited. Uh, clearly, you remember the Duke like I remember the Duke. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, the Duke pukes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay, well, what? That was, uh, <laughs> that was the old thing in college. So you don't call it the Duke because the Duke pukes, but the Duke pukes. Anyway, uh, just a little, <laughs> this is a little mnemonic for you to remember how to pronounce it. Uh, so back in the original OG, big, gigantic monolith Xbox when it was first released, uh, there was a big old honkin' American style console with a big old honkin' American style controller that uh, very few people liked, but I liked. <laughs> um, it was they dubbed it the Duke. It was uh, strange and large, and I think they immediately released a smaller controller that was more in line to what the PlayStation felt like. But some of us remembered it fondly, and Seamus Blackley, who is one of the original designers on that OG Xbox remembers it fondly as well. And he's been trying for years to get this thing back into production. And he finally succeeded. He announced this week that uh, a prototype has been certified by Microsoft. Uh, he's uh, teamed with manufacturer Hyperkin and they are putting out uh, the Duke again. And it, there's no release date announced, no price announced, but it does have an upgrade. It has a fancy little LCD screen on the front that can, I guess you can get a show on an LCD screen for this. It's big enough. You could watch a movie on it. (laughs) I mean, that'd be pretty cool. Page out of the switches book. Um, I, I remember the Duke fondly, even though I've struggled to use it. I, I do not have massive bear paws to use with this thing. Um, but it definitely made the, the original Xbox stand out and the Xbox 
S controller, the the slim one, was really kind of my favorite go to. But I love the idea that they would bring something back like this that a, a, a core section of the audience really loved, and they they make it fancy and they do kind of a limited run. Like I'm a sucker for stuff like that. Yeah, man. That's, it's a fun throwback. I'll see how many of them they actually sell. But uh, do you, did you, you have an put OG this thing Xbox? down on the floor and play it with your feet? It was huge. <laughs> it was pretty big. Like you could have you could have defended your home from a burglary by beating someone with a, a duke. Oh, let alone let alone the uh, console itself. The OG Xbox was like a, a well, falling. Hazard. If you could pick up the original Xbox, yeah. good luck to you. Don't put it on a high shelf. WWE wrestler or something. Compared to your CRT widescreen TV, the OG Xbox was still tiny. Right, that thing was three hundred. We had, so Combat Evolved, I was playing co-op with a buddy, we were Legendary, Heroic, whatever like the hardest one is when I still had time to do that, uh, and we were playing, he had a Duke, and we kept dying, we couldn't get past, I think it was like the Hunters, I forget, we kept getting stuck somewhere and like just couldn't get past it, and he's like, ah, got up and took the Duke and like threw it, and it was like, someone, I was like, no, we were on an off-campus apartment, I kid you not, it went into the wall put a hole in the wall the duke came out perfectly fine yeah wall zero duke one you don't care no duke don't care yeah. all right guys let's move on now we've got lots <laughs> of games to talk about in uh the playlist but i want to thank our sponsor speaking of lots of games my goodness has 2017 been an incredible year of games and it's just we're just getting to what is historically the most busy season for game releases. You want to play everything. We want to play everything. The easiest way to play everything is to have a subscription to Gamefly. Gamefly lets you save money and play more games. It's a perfect combo. All you got to do is fill in your list. They send it to your house. It's free shipping, by the way. Uh, And you can rent a game as long as you want. There's no late fees. There's no stress to worry about sending it back by a certain amount of time. And if you want to buy it forever, you can pay the difference and do that too. So you can even just try before you buy or rent and play a game all the way through and send it back and get to the next one. It's so easy. Christian, I know you use Gamefly regularly. I'm a big fan. I got Dishonored, uh, whatever, the outsider from Gamefly. Most recently, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which I'll be talking about, came via Gamefly. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, and I love it. They have over 9,000 titles to choose from. They're also doing movies now, so if you want to rent movies through Gamefly, you can do that as well. It's easy. Plus, we're going to let you try it for free for 30 days simply because you listen to this show. We're going to give you a free premium 30-day trial. So check it out. That lets you keep two uh, games or movies at a time. All you got to do is go to Gamefly.com slash DLC2 to get your free premium 30-day trial started. Give it a shot. I bet you'll be happy that you're able to play more games and save money at the same time. Gamefly.com slash DLC2 for free for 30 days. Corey, I have to be honest... A large portion of why I wanted you to be on the show this week is so that we could talk about Divinity Original Sin 2. We'll get to Destiny. We'll get to our Destiny talk. Don't you guys worry. We spent two episodes going friggin' an hour on Destiny. We're going to talk some Divinity Original Sin 2 because, oh my God, I love it with my whole soul. Wait, is that how you remember how to say it? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So I have to be honest with you, Jeff. I was not going to play Divinity Original Sin 2 yet. 
Okay. I was holding off on it. The first Divinity Original Sin is in my top five favorite games of all time. Yeah, it's glorious. Easily one of the most amazing. Even understanding that it had problems when it first came out, like I, I lost my life to this game. And I was holding off on playing it because I knew it was going to just pull me down the well, right? Then I got a DM from you that said, hey, I really want to talk about this. And I was like, crap. Okay. So this weekend, I just started. So I'm way far behind you. I imagine you're 76 hours into the game so far. <laughs> 32, about, 32 hours. I'm about, okay. So you're in probably act two? Yes. Okay. Cool. So I can, I've at least done some reading and some research so I can talk through this. But I, compared to you, I'm going to be very, very much a Divinity Original Sin 2 noob. So why were you waiting for it? Uh, because uh, there are so many other games to play. Yeah. Honestly, like yeah. this is, and I knew that Problem. this game was going to be amazing, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. And you know, it's just kind of a busy couple of weeks. Definitely don't want my wife to leave me because I'm attached to the computer at the hip. Um, so I was, I knew it was going to be good. Do you know who will never leave on. you, Corey? Hmm. Divinity will never leave you. <laughs> I true. had not considered this. Weekend, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh so i so i started over the weekend and even just even just the character creation is such a a delight that larry and larry does such a good job at storytelling such a good job yeah it, um, it, it, yes just listening to the little narrative bits uh, of backstory for like the six or whatever it is uh characters that you can choose from the, you can make your own character it can be a pure role-playing game where you invent your own story your own person blank canvas or they've got these six origin stories that are fully fleshed out that have tendrils that reach throughout the entire breadth of the game and they all are introduced by those characters who give you a little snippet of their backstory and each of them is so different from the others they're all so interesting and come you immediately latch on to uh the idea behind that character it's not convoluted it's not full of lore it's just like Oh yeah, you're a mercenary, or right. you've got a demon inside you. That's crazy. Yeah, that actually, uh, Losa is the one that I chose. Yeah, she's um, so awesome. so. I struggled with this, right? Because in the first game, you end up creating two characters, and they they evolve over the game, and then you meet a few NPCs, and the ex- the enhanced edition I think cleans this up a bit more. But my initial my initial feeling was I need to create a blank blank canvas character and go through and interact with the world because you end up meeting all of these origin characters as NPCs. Right. Or if you're, if you're exploring as much as I'm going to, you'll end up finding all of them. Um, and they can join your party and they can join your party. I think the, the max party limit is four. So you've got to like probably bounce some people around like you would in like a final fantasy game or something. Um, but as I was going through them and listening to the origin stories, Losa's story is just so fascinating. She's, a minstrel like a bard but she's also like a spirit medium and this one particular traveler that's going along with her happens to be super duper evil and and she's not just a bard she's like the most famous bard in the world of the game so like everybody she's it's like you're playing as um um a taylor swift it's like taylor swift has a demon (laughs) inside her what Mm. Boy, that's a softball. I'm not going to swing at it. <laughs> but <laughs> team Beyonce for life. Uh, but but yeah. So she, it's it's just absolutely fascinating jumping into this and understanding that her origin is separate from how you decide to play her as a class, right? Because you can still start off as a cleric or 
uh, a, a summoner or any of those different classes, but she's still going to have this origin behind her that impacts the gameplay and the the conversations that you have right from the beginning. Like the smartest thing that Larian does in character creation is they take these things these kind of origin stories and backgrounds and they make them tags that you can apply to your character. And my understanding is that as you're playing, you continue to add these tags and these experiences and that impacts your conversations later on. Yeah. How brilliant is that? It's amazing. It's It's amazing. So cool. So even just jumping into the beginning and, and, and meeting up with characters and having those conversations, which is a big part of the game, obviously like the tactical combat in this game is second to none. Right. But it's really the storytelling that I think that they've they've improved on from the first game and just seeing how all of that works. I also love when you get to the first island and you start poking around a little bit. Larian is so good at showing you things that you want to get to physically on on like the map, but you can't get to yet. And it's this little hook that reels you in and kind of pulls you around to where you actually need to go. Because I was trying to avoid going into the fort and I, I was just bouncing around and looking at things. And I saw this chest over in like a cliff that I couldn't walk over to. Right. I was like, okay, well I'm going to go through the city, but I'm going to come back to this chest. I'm so well, excited for it. The, the thing that, I mean, these games, divinity one and two, there really are a love letter to tabletop dungeons and dragons. Totally. And the, I think the aesthetic that really started the computer role-playing game movement, which was how do we make tabletop D&D on a computer where the computer is the DM? Like those are the games that I grew up with, you know, uh, Ultima and Might and Magic and Wizardry. Those those games, that was what they were trying to accomplish, right? And this is a throwback to that. And part of the joy of tabletop D&D is solutions to things that we didn't anticipate thinking outside the box, challenging your DM and coming up with wild, wacky things. And that is one of the things that divinity excels at. They have these wonderful conditions that exist of how elements interact with each other and all kinds of things that you're able to do and interact and create interactions that way. And so you can come up with weird ways to take down enemies or cool ways to traverse uh, the terrain. And one of the best tools that you get in this game is the teleportation spell. You can get teleportation scrolls that are one-time use. You can get items that give you that power. You can get that as a in, in your division of magic, should you choose. And that teleportation spell lets you do things that, like get to places that you shouldn't get to or trick the game into letting you go to do things that you weren't supposed to do or isolating your character so he can't be attacked by a melee attacker. There's like all these wonderful ways to break the game in the best possible way. And it, you feel so brilliant doing it and you feel like anything is possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's a long history in, in these hardcore CRPGs of, of people trying to figure out how to min max the game and do things that you're not supposed to. And it's like at every step, Larian goes, Oh yeah, we've got, we've got a backup plan for that. Right. Like even in the first game, it was possible in the first city, uh, Cecil, Cecil, uh, to, to kill everybody. Yeah. Everybody in the town, if you really wanted to play like a jerk like that, and still progress the main game. Yeah. Because the there's items like, that you'd find, like, it's the, the amount of ways to solve the problem. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, eh, dude, it's fun too when you've we already solved the problem and then you find an alternate way that you could have done it and you're like, oh, it's awesome. I could have done it that way. Or it, it, it is, 
it is it feels like this wonderful playground and it feels like it it does reward inventiveness and thinking outside the box and exploration in a way that most games don't and the first game i i don't know if you agree but for me it had really weird difficulty spikes and i feel like this one handles that a lot better like there was that central town you started in in the first game and there was four exits in each of the you know compass map points and if you went out the wrong one, you would get obliterated. And you're like, why, why is that happening? Uh, and this game, it just handles that so much smoother. It feels like a more refined version of the game in almost every way. It, the game is more beautiful. The voice acting has a big impact on, on, on me for the narrator is so well done. He's awesome. I I mean I again only only a few hours in so it's hard for me to talk about the difficulty spikes but we talked about it on the new episode of the Gamers for Jobs conference call that'll be out on Wednesday and it does sound like there are still it still has that issue where you can walk into an area and Larian don't care you'll walk into an area that you were not meant to be into right. and it makes every combat meaningful like you may be level 17 and going up against level 17 npcs but that doesn't mean you're going to walk over them like, right it's a struggle and so yeah. it takes it takes 100 mastery of knowing how your party is supposed to come together knowing how their skills complement one another and chain together and playing with those environmental effects to really pull everything off which is a, the magic of the first game for at least the first three-fourths of it was was that and understanding it yeah um but they, they do a lot so of things to mitigate that as well. I mean, they, they, there is, uh, you can always move the, the difficulty slider at any time. So you can move it down to easy if you're really getting your butt kicked and you've, are you get playing frustrated. on classic? I'm playing on classic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you can also, uh, save anywhere. So I'm, I'm one of those guys that saves every two feet, you know, and <laughs> I, yeah, I have a thousand saves on that game and I keep, you know, well, what if I want to go back, whatever. And I have discovered so many wonderful things by saving and then trying something a different way. Uh, and I highly recommend that way to play. Uh, it, it may sound a little cheaty, but, um, there was one moment I will try to describe this in a way that is not a spoiler at all, but it's, I think it's worth bringing up cause it's so magical and fun. Uh, you find these soul containers that have the souls of characters in them. And uh, you are given options of what you can do when you, when you get them, you can smash them and release the soul. You can like ingest the soul and it'll give you power or you can just hold on to it. And so I didn't know who these characters were that their souls were. I didn't even know if it was going to matter, but I just held on to it. I was like, I'm going to wait and see later on. You get to this very intense area with, with a, <laughs> a really cool encounter and this fight breaks out with these undead skeletons. And I noticed that all of the names of the skeletons are the same names of the, of the, that were written on the soul jars. Oh my gosh. So I, instead of having this intense fight, I reload my game to right before the fight started and I smash the soul jar. And then I look over and there's one fewer skeleton there. <laughs> So I smash and all And I the imagine there's probably a way here to like give them the souls and then maybe they're like your best friends forever or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Who knows? But I was like, I, I don't even have to deal with these guys. I just literally smashed all three soul jars. And as each time it happens, it like gives you a vision of, of – and it's like – it describes it as – the first one is like it, it, you get a vision of two people sitting sitting in a room. And then you smash the other one. It's like you get a vision of one person sitting in a room. <laughs> and uh, and and then I smashed them all. I walk into the room. I don't have to go to the fight and it gives me the – same experience points I would have if I had won the fight. It's like you just you're smart. You did a cool thing. That's really the trick to this is that it, it 
in a lot of other RPGs, it's pretty common to find a way around something, but you're not rewarded as much because they want to balance the, the shortcut that you're getting. And again, Larian don't care. They're, they're just, Larian, Larian believes in rewarding the player for any sort of creativity with, with, with uh, Original Sin and Original Sin 2. I, I, I'm so excited to keep digging down this. I think what's interesting is that I've, I've been resisting the temptation to just start shotgunning through it to be part of some sort of meta conversation that we're having in the industry right now because it's going to be such a personal experience. And I honestly wonder, understanding the, the origins for all the pre-written characters and stuff, I wonder if this game, more than most other RPGs, is going to reward going through and replaying some of those characters from their POV. I have no doubt. I, I will tell you that this week, uh, a buddy of mine decided that he wanted to try the game in co-op. And so I started a new character to do that with him to start from the beginning. Yeah. And, and the way they handle co-op in Divinity Original Sin 2 is is pretty clever. I mean, you you are completely free to do whatever you want. You can stick together. You can both go off in completely different areas of the world. Doing One person can be in a fight. The other person can be talking to a merchant on completely opposite sides of the map. It, do, it, it Like you said, Larian don't care. You're in that world. You're experiencing it how you want. Um, but it does a really smart thing too, because so much of the game is dialogue. Whoever, whichever of, of you in the co-op world, and you can have up to four people all playing co-op, um, whichever of you starts the conversation is the person that's having the conversation, is the person that gets to decide how it's, how you're responding to that stuff. And everybody else has a little ear icon when they scroll over it so that they can listen in to the conversation. But you don't have to. You can just wander off and go and do your own thing. And that person can just convey what, what was told to them. Or you can literally listen to the conversation. Then you hear all of the voice dialogue and stuff. It's so clever and it, it works so well. But the reason I brought it up is because I started a different character with a different uh, backstory. I started the character of Fane, who's this undead character. Who you can play as undead, but everybody in the game world is totally freaked out by you because you're <laughs> literally a skeleton wandering around. So you have to steal faces and wear faces or wear hoods so that people can't see your face if you ever want to have dialogue with anybody. Mm-hmm. It's so funny and so awesome. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a completely different kind of interaction that I was having with these characters because I was a completely different character. Totally. I the The co-op part is so fascinating to me. Um, Sean Andrich and I tried, I think we played a couple of hours of Divinity Original Sin 1. Uh, and then I played with Wes Fenlon from PC Gamer for a little bit. And it's such a commitment. I mean, this would become your D&D campaign with friends, basically. Yeah. If you got four people together playing this, never mind the fact that there's a game master mode, so you could bring someone in who's actually like controlling the world. Right. Like the amount of coordination there just gives me the heebie-jeebies because I just my schedule is just not that good. It is but, a little daunting to to think about playing through this like hundred hour game in, in a pair, but well, it also supports couch it. co-op, so you could do that. People absolutely do it. I I have friends that like they play they they play with their significant other and they they do spend the time to just play and experience this thing together, and it's. It's really unbelievable. Now, the first game had, and I apologize for not knowing this, the first game had a conversation mechanic that kind of helped dictate who was going to have control over big choices because you were playing as two characters the entire time. Is there anything like that for the way characters are interacting in Original Sin 2? No, you you are, whoever, whichever character you're controlling at the time is the one who's having that conversation. So uh, they're, they will have the NPCs will break in 
and say, if, if you're talking to a character that has a big role in their personal story, they will break in and be like, Hey, what's going on here? But then the really cool thing is they have a conversation with that character and your character just overhears it. The narrator goes, you hear them muttering about this or that, or, you know, they sit down and share a meal. Like you don't get to hear the details of their conversation because you weren't that character. You just hear, yeah, you just get an impression of what they, what they did. And sometimes I'm, I have the red prince and a Sibyl in my, in my, um, party. And there is a a specific character in the first town that they both have is very important to their story, but they're at cross purposes and Sibyl wants to kill that character. And the red prince wants to get information from that character. And so you have to like make this decision of who you are going to let deal with that and how that's all going to play out. It it's so interesting and fun and it feels alive in a way that most games can't achieve. Sibyl is the, the elven uh, assassin. Yeah. And, and then the red prince, he's the, he's the, uh, the lizard who, who thinks he has delusions of grandeur. He's a yeah. giant lizard who thinks he deserves to be King. You know what? Same. <laughs> yeah. Same. Uh, the cool thing about elves in the game too, Sibyl is an elf and any elf in the game can eat body parts of any, uh, anybody that you come across. If you find a severed arm or a severed leg or head or something, they can eat them and then see a vision of what that character experienced in their life. So, which, which I think I, is another cool world building thing because yeah, you typically so we're, we're ingrained to believe that elves, high elves are so dainty and perfect and divine and blah, blah, blah. No, these guys are cannibals. That's <laughs> so cool. And they're cannibals for like a purpose, which is somehow weirder. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And you can get skills that way. If you like, if they, if you see a vision of them using a skill, like Sibyl has that skill, then uh, it's. It's so great. Uh, in the chat room, uh, Joe Blank said he's put uh, 26 hours into the game only in the first area, and he feels like he's already gotten his money's worth. I finished the uh, the first act. It ends with a big fight. And I, I said to myself, I was like at the 25-hour mark at that point. And I said, if this was the end of the game, I would be completely happy. I would feel like, wow, this was an amazing game. But it's literally just the first third of the game. It's crazy. You've got probably like 70 more hours to go. Yeah. Now, I, I saw a lot of people mentioning that they would play a bunch of the game. They'd, they'd put in like 10, 15 hours or so and then feel like they need to start over. Yeah, and that's what I did. Now they kind of better understand their characters and that sort of thing. Can I Again, I can't say this from personal experience yet, but can I plead with you not to do that? I, I, don't, I don't think it's too big of a, of a spoiler to tell you that the respec option opens in, in Act 2. Yeah, it does. So struggle through learn as much as you can in act one and then in act two if you really want to revise some stuff do that i also love that when you pick up the npcs they give you options for how you want them to be built you're not locked into fane being a a, a wizard or a sorcerer you could have him set himself up for other skills yeah and then you can also hybrid anybody as you go the game just gives you complete freedom in how you want to build characters and yeah and each act you get to respec if you feel like you made any mistakes it's amazing it's so i have to ask this we're talking about this and we're gushing and we love it uh do you think this is too complex for most people to get into or for a a larger audience to get into i don't know i mean i don't think it's any more complex than skyrim you know and skyrim was a big mass market game um i i think i think the the top-down aesthetic might turn off some uh, i don't know or the turn-based combat might turn off yeah, others the but level of it 
Yeah, but it is. I, I I don't know. I think this is the high water mark for how role playing games are built, and I, evidently it's selling really well. So I'm hoping that continues. Oh man. Okay. Well, I'm giving up on the idea of saving this for a rainy day, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. go, I'm all in now. It's so good. All right, Christian, you've been patient, and I appreciate it. I know you guys want to gush about uh, Destiny now, so um, yeah. let's talk Destiny. Go, Corey, you can start it off. Christian, you can hop in. Knock yourselves out. Uh, it's, I, I love Destiny 2. I love <laughs> Destiny 2. I love it. I love it. I understand everyone's complaints about specific aspects of the game or how the core audience like felt like they there wasn't enough content for them, and I, I just don't care because this game is so good. And I think you guys said it best last week, like the moment-to-moment action is so... It's, it's just perfect. It's all, or almost perfect. Um, I, I'm light level 274, I think. Uh, I've played way more PvP than I'm surprised by. And and honestly, I I feel like I'm a little behind everybody else because I haven't I haven't successfully completed the nightfall, which feels like, you know, you must be a genius to do that. And I haven't attempted the raid yet. Uh but most of the time when I when I sit down and play, I honestly am just at a point where I'm running around doing the public events or getting into firefights and all of that is so unbelievably rewarding. That's one of the best things about the game. It's like you said, Corey, the moment to moment, you know, when they introduce left trigger, right trigger, you know, to the bungee formula of taking shields down and how character AI flanks or they, you know, have grunts, then mid tier, then sniper, then rushing creatures that like all pull your focus different ways to kind of create this symphony of a battlefield that that bungee does so well. And the moment to moment is so fun and there are constantly public events going off that now smartly have notifications on your map. Oh, also you have a map. <laughs> yeah, that helps um, too. You can just stay in an, an overworld or whatever, bouncing from public event to public event to public event. You're getting pretty good loot. You're getting you're not getting rewarded as quickly as you would if you were checking off your milestones or, you know, doing nightfall or completing the raid, but like you're you're making quote unquote progress and it's just continuous fun it's it's like really easy for me to get stuck in that gameplay loop also i'm like okay well this public event now what should i what was i get well there's another one going uh it's only 30 i'll jump over there see if anyone else is over there oh there's like four dudes here this is gonna be oh we let's we we activated the uh epic or exotic you know uh public event oh it's gonna be oh we did it oh what else is well, I guess there's another one right here. Something really cool. Like, it, I, and it's one of the few games where I, I have almost zero problems jumping into like public chat or team chat with with randos or people I don't know, right? It, because I feel like, especially if you're doing like strike playlists and things like things like that, that level of coordination is important. But also, people have a pretty good understanding that you know you're going to be through this fast, so don't be a jerk. Right. Yeah. Well, and it changes as things become harder. So I went through. It's Monday still. So this current nightfall, it's going to change very soon. And I think Destiny might still be down for maintenance as we're chatting right now. Um, and Jeff was playing. We were playing with friend of the show Anthony Taramina, who's kind of our, uh, at least my personal Destiny Sherpa. Uh, whenever I need a backpack, his is always the one I jump into. And we weren't able to get through it. We struggled mightily. We got close a couple of times. We couldn't do it. And then Global Reset, who's here in the chat with us right now and is also an incredible backpack to hop in in Destiny, jumped in with Anthony and I. So I had a 303. I think Anthony's a 303 power level. And I think he might be like 306, but was playing as a 303. And Global, I think, is like 301, but was playing a 295. And then I was in there as like a 268. I think I'm 271 now. And like, we got through it with time to spare, but it required 
coordination, right? Like we had to find in, in the current nightfall, you added time by shooting anomalies, uh, which are just like the, the elements in the game that you would collect the collectibles, but you would shoot like the data lettuce or whatever it's called to add time to it. So we had to like, we found where all of those are kind of pinged them along the way. We actually found that going slow and methodical and not trying to rush through to get to the end stage boss. And then we came up with a strategy to how to take down. It was on Exodus black crashes is, is where it was taking place. We, you know, quickly, because Anthony and I had now run through it three times before not able to complete it. And Global, I think, had done it before as well. Like we were able to jump in and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. He disappears when you give him a lot of damage, save your super for the ads, like take out all the little enemies with your super, call him out when you see him, keep him contained to the center. If he goes over to where this back panel always gets electrified, it's not even worth the time over there. Take out the ads to get your power ammo back up. And like it was all coordinated in real time. And that's just a nightfall strike. So I also have yet to do a raid, but that requires even more coordination. I hear it's it's really, really tough, but I'm super excited for it. We, I am going to be jumping in uh, hopefully soon, maybe this week. So maybe if you have some time, I'm trying to get Anthony and a couple of other backpacks. <laughs> it's so interesting to me to hear you talking this way, Christian, because I know you've never been a MMO guy. And it's kind of fun that this game has sort of um, Trojan horsed MMO into you. You know, it's like, hey, look, there's this. It's a first person shooter. It's super fun to shoot guns, right? Right? Oh, you're playing an MMO, but uh, it's super fun. Don't don't pay any attention to that. You're playing an MMO. Uh, I don't. Because- I don't think it's an MMO though. I mean, it, in the same way that I don't think World of Warcraft is an MMO anymore. World of Warcraft is its own genre, and I think I think Bungie's doing a really good job of making this its own genre too. Well, hearing right. Christian talk about that Nightfall is exactly the same as me talking about doing a heroic in WoW or, or, or a raid. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree, Jeff. I think the difference is it's the moment to moment like that. The gameplay loop of playing a first person shooter and it is it's Trojan horse, or they've finally made an MMO with the rapper. That's enjoyable, enjoyable for me. Like I thought star Wars, uh, what's the Republic, the MMO one version the of Republic. it. The older public. I thought that was going to be it. I thought the IP could bring me in, but I still, I, I kind of bumped head with the systems in it and it being a, a deep tra- air quote, more traditional RPG. But this, I can go in and not MMO it at all, right? If I want to, I can just do public event after public event. And all I'm doing then is a repeatable, fun minute, two minute long first person shooter scenario with a boss fight, right? But the, because that is the Trojan horse that then gets me invested in, I think what Destiny 2 has done so well is they level you up quickly and painlessly. Like there's not really a grind for probably to get to 260. Like you can just play through the campaign and you're at 200. You do a couple of strikes because you're like, well, now what is there for me to do? And like you can hit that pretty quickly and you've been having fun and it's opened the door now and you start getting invested in the scene and the larger community. And yeah, now the MMO comes spilling out of the the Trojan horse at night and it ruins your town and your, and your family and you no longer see your kids, <laughs> but get your what, kids think, playing destiny. It's fine. Right. Yeah. Everybody's I mean, my two year old, my two year old's two eighty four. She absolutely wrecks. Probably better than me at the crucible. <laughs> well, that's what I, that's, that's what I wanted to bring up this week is that, that that's the Trojan horse, Jeff. That's how they got me is that I, I got so deep and I got so hooked. And for what I was able to do soloing and also I need to shout out, 
our DLC clan. They've been great. I have played, uh, just, you know, jumped in and just played random, uh, games with people from the clan and they've always been awesome. Everybody had mics. We were all communicating. Super, super fun. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because the last two weeks I've completely failed to remember to, to, to shout out the DLC clan, but all of you guys in the DLC clan are awesome and we totally appreciate it. I can't believe that the clan filled up. Before the game even launched, it was full, and I feel bad for people that can't join. That we have, you know, more people than spots. But uh, thank you all for joining. It's it's really really cool to have such a vibrant clan, and the fact that every time I log on, I get to go over and just collect loot because what you guys have been doing is pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, we're kicking, we're kicking, we're kicking butt. We're doing pretty pretty well. Um, but the the easy way, you know, when you start getting into the in game loop or grind, whatever you want to call it, to kind of level up with if it if I don't have time to do a strike or to rerun the nightfall because I'm jumping in for, you know, 30, 45 minutes uh while dinner's cooking or something, right? Um, I've been jumping in and knocking off milestones, which are the weekly things that kind of reset each week and it shows you if you know they're changed, but it's like go run these events on Earth, go do this, go do that, and you get pretty great gear. And there's always a crucible well, not always. I think there's always been one milestone. And I'm just like, I did the other ones that I had time for. I don't have time to do the raid right now. And I'm just like, well, I want to play the game and I want to let, I guess I'll play Crucible. Call to Arms. And Call to Arms. This is so brilliant. Oh, man. It gives you good gear. And I've been having so much fun with it. I need to shout out friend of the show and friend of IRL and he also does some movie show I don't know anything about, but I jumped in with Mr. Dave Chen and it was awesome. Awesome. Awesome playing with them and I kind of jumped in at the end of their session and kept him up for I think two more games late one night. <laughs> I noticed that the, the text messages have stopped showing up on my phone to invite me to play with the uh, fun people that I all know, but you know, whatever. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to play with some games with Jaws people. Yeah, yeah, everyone's already well, playing, Jeff. I'm pl- so we I'm, don't need to invite you. I guess I'm I'm playing over on my computer on Divinity, going, oh, I wish I wish my phone would ring. Oh well, <laughs> no, no you don't. you're not even looking at your phone. You're you're wrapped up in in Fort uh, Fort Joy. Yeah. Um, I I think I think the call to arms thing is really brilliant because it it it's teaching me a valuable lesson, which is not to care as much about how I do in PvP, because call to arms I think is tied to the quick play playlist and not the competitive one. It's both. I'm ninety nine percent sure you tick off for both. I should not play on competitive because I am the no, opposite of That's but. what I'm here to say though. It's a total misnomer. I felt the same way because Dave was in competitive. And I was like, I don't wanna I'm not good. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bad. And he was like, Look, it's more it's just different playlists. It's not necessarily like if you true air quote competitive is trials of nine. Like that's where the big dogs, woof woof. Shout out to the dog pound or what? I don't know what you would say. Uh, that's where they go because that's hardcore. You got to win seven. Uh, it's the best of the best. Competitive. I've actually had way more fun there because a lot of the game types in there right now are limited lives. So you each team, you know, like the team has a total of eight. Uh, you have a limited number of revives, or you only have one life, and you're trying to hold a point. So it's a little slower, and it's a lot more team based because the way power weapons our ammo on the map you know it's not just one awesome player with a sniper and she's out there killing everybody running around because you only have two shots so you need to combine fire to take down people you need to work as a team so even when i jumped in without a mic when i just had like 30 minutes to go into some pvp i went into competitive and played that match and with just randoms and we all like use social cues like look at each other to see what part of the the map we're going to defend you work together it's 
awesome. Go try it out. The The name is really off-putting because I feel the same way. I'm like, I'm not a pro. I don't have time for this. And I've enjoyed my time there so much more than in the other playlists. Those game types do sound rad. I, I think if this wasn't Destiny 2, if this was like Destiny 1 all over again, I'd be really concerned right now. That like, oh, is this all that there's going to be? But having seen what they did with Destiny 1, like I'm actually kind of excited for the future. I, I, I believe that de- that Bungie's going to put out new interesting things for the community to find as we go. I, there's expansion packs that are coming, and I think I've already purchased some of them. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, pointed at, I pointed at something at the store, and I was like, I want it. Please give me. And they took my card, and that's how I ended up here. Um, well, to go back to to go back to the MMO discussion for a bit, though, because oh, uh, yeah. that's sort of my my point of reference on all of this stuff. I think, and bear with me here. I know you guys love this game, and I I'm having a great time playing it as well. But I think they could go further, and I've said this since the first Destiny. I think they could go further that way, and it would be even more interesting because I know how much fun it is to do a raid in a real MMO, and and what I'm doing in a WoW raid, for example, is completely different from what my teammate is doing because of our roles in that raid. Sure. And when you're in when you're in Destiny, you are yes, you can divvy up responsibilities and say, oh, you you do you do that, I'll, you know, you get the ads, I'll get the main guy, whatever it is that you were explaining, Christian. But you all are just uh, I'm shooting a gun and getting a guy and am I using my special skill when it's up and whatever you're you're not fundamentally doing a different role like what i'm doing as a tank in wow versus what i'm doing as a healer versus what i'm doing as a dps let alone the various divisions of dps and all of the different things that i have to have in my mind you know relative to my team i just think that's a more interesting dynamic and i would like them to try to go further that way I can see that. I I understand that you know, raiding in an MMO or even doing like a, a five man dungeon in an MMO or World of Warcraft or something, you know, it takes some roles and some responsibilities and all of that that happens because I've I've been in raids in Destiny One where you're you know you've got someone typically the Sherpa who's telling you like okay now you're gonna stand over here and you're gonna shoot this thing when this thing pops and I'm gonna stand over here and I'm gonna hold this point while we wait for the guy to summon blah 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 like. That all feels more organic and kind of community driven than than the kind of the dictated terms of a of an MMO raid. I I disagree that Destiny should do that because I really like how it's being its own thing and it's it's doing that by kind of simplifying some of the stuff while also Trojan horsing a lot of these concepts to people. Like who how many Call of Duty players knew what a raid was, you know? And now, you know, a, a substantial part of that mainstream first-person shooter audience is learning about these things that we've all desperately loved in World of Warcraft for years. But I don't think they have to replicate that stuff one, by, you know, one to one. And I, I can't speak to the current raid, but I hear it's pretty complicated. Yeah, well, so the, I feel the like there's something is, there. Chat room is going off on me right now, saying I'm I'm speaking from a, a place of ignorance about not having done a raid in Destiny, and and that's absolutely true. They're saying that it's it I I couldn't be more wrong, and that there are specific roles, and you have to do certain things, and and I'm glad I'm excited to try that. I'm excited to, to get to that point, but I I'd be surprised if it is as uh, technically complex as as an average WoW raid. But maybe that's just my own my it own. Won't, uh, it won't be as complex as a forty man raid, but I guess my argument is that it doesn't need to be. And that's why that's why World of Warcraft does that. I also don't think there's anything wrong with you saying like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or that? Because somebody's listening and they're going to go, 
hmm, maybe we should add this or that. Like, that's how this conversation works. So I'll come out on the other side of it. I, I will say, so I think kind of echoing what Global Recent, some people saying in the chat, like there are roles in Destiny, and, and I think Reef was saying this also earlier, um, there are roles in Destiny, but they're not defined as much by your character, which I feel like in, in my MMO experience and WoW experiences, now I'm you know the one talking from a place of ignorance in those, but like you pick your character and really spec your character to be a thing. And that's kind of the character you're going to play and the role you're going to play. And in Destiny, in Destiny 2, the difference between a Titan, a Warlock, and um, I'm blanking on the other one right now. Um, it's Ranger. Not, uh, uh, no. no. Um, uh, come on, Shitty brain. guy. Uh, Kate, Kate <laughs> uh, uh, it's not vastly different right like as a warlock i might have a few more healing type but it's i'm not a healer i can i can tank as a warlock if i want to the type of player i am and the shot accuracy i have with the sniper i'm not going to be that person right and i've specced my warlock accordingly with the type of i have a spread grenade and i have my healing rift as my power instead of amping up everybody's shots because that's not the type of playstyle I have. And when you go into even the nightfall, you know, you will play your role. Like when I was going through with um Anthony and Global and through there, it's like I was never the top of the KD ratio at the end of the game, but I would wager that I revived them way more than, you know, anyone else was reviving other people. I laid down more heals. I covered more ads with my super. Um, and then when you get into the raid, and the types of things you have to do in there from what I've listened to and understand about it and prior Destiny raids, it's very role-specific. It's just not based on the character you're bringing into the game. So I'm not coming in as an elf, and so everybody knows I'm going to be the ranged guy, and this is going to be that or whatever, and you know, and you're you're the wizard, so you're going to be the healer. It's you kind of get you have your group of six, and as you discover what you need to do in the raid, you find out quickly what those roles are. And as the raids become defined, I think one of the problems with the community. And Destiny 1, as it went on, was there became a quote-unquote right way to do the raid. And it was literally, I don't want to mix metaphors and say stay in your lane because it's not a MOBA. But it was like, do your role. Like, you're this. And if you don't do that, people would kick you or drop or whatever. And in this raid, people are still figuring it out. So it hasn't become quite so defined. But they're... Yeah, there's we, still a role to be played. We should probably re- return to this when we all have you know first person experience. The raid. Can I yeah. ask a, one last quick Destiny Two question? Uh, and for for both of you, you're, I assume you're both playing on PS4. Maybe you're playing on Xbox One. No, nope. not sure. Uh, will you play on PC? I have said from the start no, uh, but I have a whole bunch of buddies who are only playing on PC. So yeah. who knows? I actually. I feel like the game isn't as magical to me on PC as it is on a console, which is really, really hurts me to say that as like a, a, a super PC dude. But uh, I playing playing the beta with the mouse and keyboard and at 60 frames per second and high res and blah, blah, blah. Like that was really nice, but it felt like any other first person shooter to me. And I feel like strangely, I the magic is in the auto aim of that controller and just making hmm. me feel like a hero that way. Interesting. So Interesting. I, I'm curious to, to see if anybody else feels that way or if I'm just insane. When you get to crank up all those settings though. Woo. I mean, it's, so it's gorgeous weird. no matter what I, I'm going to, I'm going to double dip. I'm going to play on PC too and see what it really feels like. Cause I'm nuts over this game, but apparently too, they've implemented, and this is, you know, if you want to get into all of the meta, like they're trying to recreate the controller <laughs> 
feel for the PC. So there are people, yeah. what is it like? It's like a number, like the D1 in four, like that hub that you can use a mouse and keyboard on your console that tricks it into thinking. So you have like, you know, top tier Overwatch players using a mouse and keyboard on console. But there are concerns that people are going to be using that on PC so that their PC thinks it's a controller. So they yeah. get the little aim assist, but there's, they still have a mouse. And There's whatever. a lot of that. But I, as I learned a long time ago, like that's going to impact a certain subsection of players and never me because I'm never going to play that team. <laughs> right. 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 We have lots of other games to get to. I want to get to them. No, no, no. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm just, uh, I, I don't want to run too long here. Uh, I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Brooklinen. I'm so excited to talk about Brooklinen because I got my Brooklinens in the mail and uh, I'm so impressed with these things. Uh, Brooklinen is a, uh, it's bedding, it's sheets. Uh, I got a duvet cover and I got a new set of sheets. I'm a person that takes my sleeping very seriously, especially now that I have a child and sleeping is a precious, precious commodity that's ever dwindling. Uh, and I'm very particular about the kinds of things that I sleep on. I don't know if I've ever slept on anything nicer than Brooklyn. And it is luxury, luxury, luxury. And it feels so nice. I've been sleeping on them for oh, almost two weeks now. And Oh, oh my gosh, I'm I'm enjoying it very much. But honestly, as much as I like the feel of my Brooklinen sheets because they're really high quality, I mean, they feel like magic. <laughs> but that kind of doesn't matter. It's about my wife. <laughs> it's about what my wife thinks and how they look and how they fit into the whole decor, stuff that I don't pay enough attention to. But she loves these things. She gave me a list of things she wanted me to talk about on the show about them. We got uh black and gray striped and black, black, white and gray striped uh, 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 duvet cover. It looks awesome in our room. It's really, really nice. She's super happy with how it looks. Um, and she keeps saying, she goes, you got to mention the fact that the duvet cover, the little tassels in the corners that you tie the duvet to uh, they aren't separate pieces. They're all part of the same piece of fabric. So they don't, you can't tear them off. They won't just break off. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm sure no, all my huge. listeners need to know about that. She's like, that's huge. That's it's huge. huge. So totally agree. It's massive. <laughs> it's a breakthrough in, in, in duvet technology. Uh, so take it from my wife. This is a, a, a big deal. She also said that when you wash them, they don't wrinkle in the dryer. I don't know if that's just anecdotal, if that's a – we can guarantee that. <laughs> that's not part of what Brooklinen is advertising. But for us, she was very impressed. She's like, I always pull the sheets out of the dryer and they're all wrinkly and ugly. Brooklinens are beautiful when they come out of the dryer. Uh, these are really high quality. The best part is we're going to give you uh, $20 off and free shipping on your Brooklinen sheets. Upgrade your sleep feel better. Get those tassels that aren't going to break off. You need the tassels. Get yourself some tassels. Uh, this is exclusive to DLC. All you got to do is use the promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. You get $20 off and free shipping. Plus, Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love your new sheets that they offer you a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all their she sheets and comforters. Wow. So there's no reason not to give it a try. You can try for 60 nights and get your money back if you're not happy. It's pretty awesome. Plus, you're going to get $20 off when you go to B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and use the promo code D-L-C. Brooklyn, the best sheets ever. 
Like, I don't want to step on your ad, but I have a lot of strong thoughts about sheets and duvet covers. And my two year my two year anniversary is on Wednesday, and two years is cotton. So here you go. I'm actually yes. I'm actually legit going to jump on this. Save twenty dollars. Use the promo code DLC, dude. Uh, get those tassels. Your wife's gonna love the tassels. No, I'm the one who changes the duvet cover. I'm gonna love oh. the tassels. I I, I anyway. told my wife that was the one thing I will not do is change. I hate it. I, I get inside it. I'm I'm writhing around like an idiot. I don't know where I'm going. It's all lumpy and weird. I, I have a problem. We're going to start a podcast that's just talking about duvet covers. <laughs> It'd be great. Look for that soon. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Christian, tell me about Marvel versus Capcom. Uh, I, I want to hear about it. I have not gotten it myself. I'm holding off. Because there's just too much awesome stuff to play right now, as Corey was saying. But Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite with them Infinity Gems. Infinity. Tell me about Infinity. Uh, um, so I have played and completed the story mode. I have a story mode review on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713 And I was not going to do one, to be perfectly honest. And I'm so glad I did because it is my favorite of these like video reviews that I've done. The favorite one I've done so far. Because as I was sitting there talking about this story mode to like review it uh it's yeah it's so bonkers it's so it uh maybe uh (laughs) (laughs) it's so bonkers so before i dive into that though and then i've played some online games but now first the the caveats i have a fight stick that i bought for street fighter 4 on ps3 and i was maining chun li and e honda Ooh, surprise real difficult characters to main um but that was the last time i put serious effort into a fighting game and even then i was like getting back into it um so i'm not going to be the person to tell you to break down how marvel vs. capcom infinite shifts the versus formula by going back to a 2v2 or what the spacing is like or you know if this is a neutral space game because of this that or the other or the size of the characters changing the double jump and nullifying this that i'm not the person that's going to get into the nitty-gritty um find your fighting game fan site that you're into that can break all of that down but as someone who has experience with fighting games and a lot of experience with Capcom fighting games um, and is a, a, a lover of the renaissance of the single player fighting game experience that NetherRealm has done such a great job with with Mortal Kombat and Justice 2 now, uh, I was very excited that Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite was going to have a proper story mode the way Street Fighter V did not. And it does. It's a It's a proper story mode. But, dude, it is so bizarre. Like, Injustice 2's is bizarre because it's, like, very comic booky, like, very true to the source. Like, weird stuff, multiverse, whatever. Like, it's comic booky. This, I have no idea, man. It starts on day 88 after the convergence. I don't know why. Maybe 8 because it looks like the, the infinity sign someone said in a comment on my YouTube review. Um, and the idea is that... Uh, Sigma and Ultron, I'm not going to, I won't air quote spoil the story. They like merge to create Ultron Sigma because you just put your names together when you merge and they merge the two universes, the (laughs) the two universes being the Marvel universe and the Capcom universe, which means that in this world, the Capcom universe was one universe, which meant that like Arthur lived in the same real world with Ryu and Frank West. So you could go from like, (laughs) yeah, dude. (laughs) This checks out. It's totally <laughs> yeah, so all, all, 
all works for me. It's so weird. And like, so like, I love it. I love it. You're coming to the Marvel versus Capcom series for realism. No, but it's not even. <laughs> but that's the thing. The story, like, it's voice. It's like done. Like they're like, it's a story, but they don't. Like all of that stuff is just like, and now they're merged, and everyone's like, yeah, they're merged. Like they never knew each other before, but then later there's a cutscene where Hagar, who is, is just like Hagaring, and he's like. I was a mayor, but he's like in his classic final fight uniform because that's how he mayors, I guess. And he doesn't yeah. recognize he doesn't recognize Chris or Frank, who apparently live in his universe. But then Spider Man swoops down, and he's like, "Spider Man? How does he know Spider Man? They don't exist." It uh, so it's just so bonkers for all of those reasons. But then the even more bonkers thing is that these character models they look uh, they look fine in motion they look fine they look fine in motion but when you take these character models and you put them in these cutscenes, you need to look up and it can be my video or anyone else it doesn't matter you need to see spider-man in these cutscenes. he is so jacked this is like the thickest thick boy spider-man you've ever seen and he's like he walks very up and erect and he's got spider-man no, got swole he's so swole he's got no neck and like a tiny head and it's just and all the characters look weird thor it's it's like, if I knew that they were doing this as a B-movie, I'd be like, these guys are in on it. But I don't think they are. I think it's very much like, here's this cool epic story crossover. But the way, like, the voice acting is fine for the most part. But the way they talk, like, all I could think about in my head is that I was watching a Power Rangers uh, episode. Because, like, there's pointing. And whenever a new character walks in, they always say their name. So it's like, Rocket Raccoon, Doctor Strange, Thanos, Spider-Man, <laughs> Dr. Strange, and then they, they point and they pose and they grip and it's always just like together we can defeat the dinosaurs let's do it it's so funny and then <laughs> and then you fight which is like supposed to be what I'm supposed to talk about but they build up this thing and they're like and now we're gonna battle and then there's like a 30 second load screen which is just like oh I guess I guess in the post uh you know DC injustice uh, injustice era i guess i guess you do have to judge a fighting game by its story mode because well, they're so that bar good. it's so good yeah well they invented the bar because there was no bar before there's no bar in nether realm does an amazing job with a story mode in, in a in a fighting game and just yeah, single player content I, in general with like the I towers argue, and all that stuff i would argue that for us as good as the production value of the mortal Kombat story modes have been they've been pretty dumb um, well, no, I'm not going to sit here and argue that the Mortal Kombat story is is like Hemingway. <laughs> Actually, I might, but not right now. Um, I, I I do like you because I love Hemingway. every injustice story mode where you're you, something's happening, and then the only way to figure this out is to have a best two out of three round fight. Yeah, but at least it doesn't make you load for thirty seconds before it throws you into the fight. Well, this does that. Like you have to fight still, of course. Yeah. Then there's a load, and then. You, you, I guess they're trying to have you fight as everybody, but they don't really tutorialize it at all. It's not as if like now you're Spider-Man and here's, you know, the intricacies of Spider-Man, but sometimes you'll, you'll fight as Thanos, but then the cutscene that comes up afterward, like you have to win, you have to win the fight to progress the story, but then the cutscene comes up and it's Iron Man defeating you. And he's like, I got you, Thanos. And they're like, why didn't I just play as Iron Man? And then like the next fight later, I play as Iron Man and Thanos defeats me. And he's like, aha, you didn't defeat me. I'm escaping. And I'm like, why don't you just switch those fights? Like it's there's weird stuff like that. Um, I had fun playing the game. Uh, my full, I think I had the full thing out yeah, on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer. If you want to watch all of it, I 
played on default default difficulty until the final boss. I lost like three times in a row. And there's an option when you continue to turn it down. And that was just based on like my Capcom move set understanding and like prior experience with the the versus franchise um, to play through it. And it's fun. It's frenetic. It's fast paced. It looks splashy in all the right places as you're jumping around. I played four online matches and I've heard people have loved the net code and it's been great for them. And each time I played online, I didn't match my initial like small search area and it asked me to expand it. And I did. And I had significant lag each time I played online. Uh, that's just my personal anecdote. Every pe- other people have claimed it's been great, like really good net code for a game this fast paced. But I found it to be disappointing and almost unplayable. It was two separate days. I played two matches one day, two matches the next. Um, but I think if you're a fan of Marvel and you like fighting games, I think you can have fun button mashing with this game. But I don't think it offers the single player content that something like Injustice 2 does. But I think what makes Marvel such an endearing franchise is that it always launches broken and in terms of balance. And that's, that's like a hallmark of the Versus series. So you're going to see, I love watching the competitive space kind of evolve because you see someone say like, oh, Morgana's totally cheap, so everybody mains her. But then someone finds an exploit for what someone is doing for her. So now it's, everybody's doing Thanos. But then Thanos can be countered by Ultron, who has a 100-hit combo. And it's always this tit for tat until you figure out what the real meta is. And to me, that's fascinating. I'm going to get a bunch of emails if I don't correct you that it's Thanos. Sorry. It's okay. Thanos. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So it's fun. <laughs> I, it's hard to recommend, I think, picking it up, but like, it's what a, what a ride. It's such a weird, what a story, man. It's it so sounds like the single player is worth it just to see a bunch of like action figures thrown at one another. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of what it sounds like, huh? Yeah. 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 Uh, Marvel versus Capcom was never my fighting game though. I'm a, I'm a street fighter dude. Yeah, man. Um, I bought a game this week because there wasn't enough awesome stuff to play <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> Uh, SteamWorld Dig 2. I got it for Switch. It's phenomenal. It's another phenomenal game to be playing right now. Deep and interesting. I never played SteamWorld Dig, so I didn't, I don't know how different it is from the first game. Um, but it's a game that completely missed, missed me completely. But, um, I really dig in SteamWorld Dig (laughs) 2 to repeat words a bunch of times for no reason. This is a platforming game. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Looks gorgeous on the Switch screen. Uh, I just love the sprites. They're so vibrant and wonderful. And the, it's got this lovely cartoony aesthetic. You're a robot who's uh, dealing with other robots in a robot world. And you uh, – it's kind of this mix between something, you know, a, a platforming game with action like, uh, I don't know, Ghouls and Ghosts or something with Dig Dug. Like the old Dig Dug game. It, I mean, it really has a throwback to Dig Dug because you you actually dig through dirt and stone and stuff with your pickaxe and you can get gems and minerals and stuff that you go back into town and sell and let you buy upgrades. But in do and you can drop, you know, stones on the head of monsters just like you could with Dig Dug. They have their little holes that they're already in. But effectively what it does is it lets you kind of create your own levels. It, really it's the the space between levels that you're doing and it's a it's a true metroidvania where you're leveling things up and getting places and finding out going you know backtracking and figuring out how to get to something that you couldn't get to before because you didn't have the right skill. So it's all that metroidvania stuff that I really enjoy and and is really fun, but it's got this fun layer of dig dugginess where you can create your own you know, or or even Terraria a little bit, it kind of 
borrows from that and, and the sense of crafting your own sections of levels to get to other places that you need to uh, on the map. It's uh, it's delightful and it's the perfect game for Switch. It's like it's a great game to pick up and play for 10 minutes. Uh, great platforming, beautiful look, delightful in every way. I'm really enjoy- enjoying SteamWorld Dig 2. Uh, Christian, I know we – I think the chat room would revolt if you didn't talk a little bit more about Metroid, Samus Returns. Same. It's, I want to hear more about it. It's so good. It's still it's still really good. And what I want to talk about it this week, um, I think I might have mentioned last week, even if you're familiar with Metroid 2, I think calling it a remake of that is a disservice. This is a new Metroid game. And if you're a fan, go play it. And what I love about it so much is how simple it is in terms of – or how it stripped down the story and the presentation of the game is, where there's not a lot of text on screen. You know, it's not like walk to an NPC and they're like, oh, Samus, you are here. You must kill all the Metroids. Where are the Metroids? We have not been. And there's none of that. You land. It's that feeling that I've missed so much of these Metroid games where you are alone on this planet. And the way the game design and the level design, the way it unfolds and what seems impassable at a time, you know, you know, you can come back to later when you find the power up and you might be bumping your head against an area for five, 10, 20 minutes, or whatever. Like, I can't, I know I need to go here because that's where the thing is, but I can't get there. Like you can, or you're not supposed, like there's always something that you can be doing and it just kind of unfolds beautifully. Like, you know, like you're unfolding a, a beautiful piece of origami, right? And like, you see how it was Why made. Why would you unfold the origami? To see how it was made and to understand the process. And it's not origami anymore. You've just, you, Christian you're just wants to destroy something beautiful. You're, you're talking about how the game destroys itself slowly over time. That's And it took him a while, but Jeff came back with the snarky <laughs> comment. Um, and it is, it's, it's fascinating level design and the way things slowly unfold in terms of you're getting your power ups. It's all that stuff that, you know, these Metroidvanias do so well. And this game, is that in in so many ways that it's just it's quiet it's just you you're exploring you're going through uh methodically checking off of course there's enemies along the way but just that feeling i love metroidvanias but and as much as i loved ori and some of the other games that have come out this game is just reminds me about why i like metroid so much it's just that lone hunter you know pirate uh bounty hunter on this desolate world going about your mission that it captures that feel so well and i will stress again that the 3d in this game is just just incredible the depth it adds to the 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 world i remember when aaron was on a couple weeks ago saying he just got his new 4k tv but they wanted to do was play more samus returns it really is a stunning game um, with like the particle effects and the sound design. If you have headphones, wear them like when you're in a cave or in water, the way things shoot, that the way your blast sound is different, the ice beam to the regular to the missiles. Uh, it's it's incredible. And if you haven't picked it up, I highly, highly recommend it. I just, it's too many games. Too many oh, games. I want to play this so bad, but this is this is the downside of living in the golden age of gaming. Like It's true. It's it, it, every single week, there's like three in, uh, any other year would be like game of the year, but yeah, yeah, right? it's crazy. Um, speaking of too many games, week after week now, we're we're in the playlist and things go long and I keep pushing VR talk, but I'm not going to do that this time because I want to talk about some stuff. So let's do it. First thing I want to tell you about, because we keep talking about Destiny 2, 
is a game called Gunheart, which I played on Oculus. It's also available on Vive. And it is, I think, as close to a Destiny on VR that we have right now. It's really impressive what these guys have been able to do. It's a pretty small team comparatively, especially compared to Destiny. Um, but it is extraordinary. You jump in with friends. Uh, you craft your character. You get cool weapons. You go into missions. You get money. You go back. You get to buy cooler weapons. And you have – and you outfit your character how you want. The world is vibrant and colorful and cool. The missions are awesome. It's all first-person shooting stuff and moving around with teleportation. But it all works really, really well. I was very impressed with this, just playing with randoms. Uh, you have voice chat automatically because you're, you know, you're in VR. Everybody's cool and friendly. The coolest thing about Gunheart, guys, the thing. <laughs> <Wait>. What? <laughs> Playing in VR does not de facto make everybody cool and friendly with that, voice chat. No, it's true. The, <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I would say it would. The, it, it really is amazing because I think, A, the community is small enough that people aren't D-holes. And, uh, the blue holes, your blue holes, blue holes, right? Yeah. Sorry, blue hole. Please, uh, please, no. <laughs> and uh, and I think that just the, the the idea that you feel like you're in the world more instead of just like staring at the world. I, I don't know. It it makes people behave nicer. I've never run into somebody having played a bunch of multiplayer games in VR. I've never run into any any blue holes. We but... need to play a game together then. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, you're the guy. You're him. <laughs> I'm the one you've heard about. <laughs> so the cool thing about Gunheart too is you have a uh, left-hand weapon, right-hand weapon. Then when you put your hands together, they fuse together into a heavy weapon. And it is the coolest thing because you can do it at any time. You really just like put your hands together and they fuse into some awesome, cool third weapon that is your your heavy weapon that you can buy and upgrade stuff on. It is a, such a neat like a Gatling gun will like you fuse together and create this Gatling gun that you can shoot. Ah, it's really, really cool idea that can only be possible in VR. And I was really impressed with what I played of Gunheart. Um, Sounds rad. Yeah, it's super neat. You guys should try it. it, it if you have a, any VR device, just give it a shot because it's it's pretty cool. And I think it's one of those games that's only going to get better. It's it's in early access and they're upgrading it all the time. And you know, it's a labor of love for these guys. So uh, I'm I'm super impressed. I also want to read an email that we got referencing VR. This comes from Mike. He sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, I thought you might be interested in reading some objective data regarding VR sales. Here are the latest numbers from IDC. It says, worldwide shipments of AR VR headsets maintain solid growth trajectory in the second quarter. He says, my background is in sales and marketing, and my take on these numbers is that the VR market is performing steadily. It is definitely objectively not dead. 2.1 million units in Q2 is a lot of hardware. Sales are down versus Q4 2016, but that's normal in any consumer retail environment because Q4 contains Christmas and is always the biggest quarter. Sure, these numbers don't show runaway growth, but I don't think that was ever a realistic expectation for VR because of the high ASP and other significant barriers to entry. For such a nascent market with comparatively few applications, VR is ticking along just fine. The user base is steadily growing and the tech is being refined with each passing week. Hope this brings some objectivity to the VR is dead discussion. Thanks for creating a great show. Thank you, Mike. I love that. I love that. That is, a, a, I think, a perspective that you don't hear. I think a lot of people crap on VR uh, and say, oh, it's a dead tech and it's clearly not. 
people are getting it, people are digging it, and it's steadily growing. So I'm really happy to hear that. I must uh, be out of the loop. I've never heard someone throw around the VR is dead, just that oh VR God. is cool and growing. Like, I, I am not a VR person. I don't have a headset. I'm not sold on it as something I want to spend a lot of time with. I've done some 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 of the demos and some of the, the shorter experiences, but it's not because I don't think it's it's thriving. It's just because I don't think it's ready for me yet. Right. Well, I, maybe it's because I'm so vocal about my support for the tech and I'm always proselytizing about it that I get a lot of that feedback. And it always feels like – the only thing I've ever said is that I really like it and I'm I'm finding a lot of joy in it. And if you're not finding joy in it or you know the global you, uh, that's fine. But for some reason, people want to convince me that I'm not loving it. <laughs> yeah, it the problem is that you love too many things and we got to bring you back down to human levels. Clearly. Maybe. No, but, I, the, man, the promise of VR is so cool. And it's a, a few years ago, the idea that you could spend $500 and have tech like this in your home was outrageous, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that I want to spend a hundred hours playing divinity that way. Uh, and I, and I think there are still some use cases that need to be proven out. But when I did, when I did the Arkham VR experience on, on PlayStation VR, like I was knocked out. I was completely knocked out by it. I never wanted to do it again because boy, the last bit of it's really claustrophobic. Um, so I, I think any sort of growth here is good. It's cool that so many people are making these indie games for it. I hope they are selling enough for them to, to find that kind of level of success, but yeah. don't poo poo on VR, man. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a lot of people do and I, I get it a lot. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that that doesn't seem to be the case from a sales perspective. People like to equate it to, you know, 3D TVs and we waggle and say it's it's just this thing that was trying – people were trying to to fool me into liking and then I would pay money and then it would be abandoned and it's a dead tech and all this stuff. People are, say the VR is dead thing over and over and over. I hear it on a lot of podcasts I listen to and I'm just glad to see that the numbers don't bear that out because uh, – totally. I'm, totally. I'm very bullish on it, obviously. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap the show up now. Uh, we do have our parting gift coming up, but I want to thank Corey Banks for hanging out with us, man. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure, honestly. Like it's, it's, I've listened to you guys for so long. I've really enjoyed the show for a long time. You know, I never get to talk to you guys enough and it's just really cool to be here and, and do something different from the gamers with jobs conference call, which always feels like it's got its own different kind of energy. Yeah. It's so different that we definitely shouldn't be sued by you guys. <laughs> well, I'm worried that you guys, you know, since we get our engine from you, that you're going to be changing the way we do our podcast and not telling us. <laughs> but you guys, have, you guys uh, predate us by quite a, quite a wide margin. So uh, it the only engine like, we have is the hype train engine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a good engine to be on. <laughs> uh, where can people keep up with you and what you do online? Gamerswithjobs.com. Uh, so... I mean, I, I'm, I could rep Anki. Anki's cool. But I'm here to talk about Gamers with Jobs and the Gamers with Jobs conference call. Uh, I am biased, but I think we have the best community for video games in the world. A uh, bunch of mature people who are really smart about video games and like to play video games together and without anybody sounding like an 11-year-old and just kind of teabagging one another. Uh, we've been doing it for a long time, and I hope we never stop. I also want to rep the RPG series that we've been doing. Yeah. Um, so as part of our, we have an annual donation drive and, and part of that goes to, 
us committing to do these story RPGs. Uh, I was in one probably about a year ago called The Unmarked, which was DM'd by Rob Davio, who you might know as the develop uh, the designer of Seafall or Pandemic Legacy or Friend Mish Legacy. Yep. Uh, really honored to be a part of that. We are we've recorded the final episode of Orbital Decay, which I'm not in, but everybody else who is in it is fantastic, and that's been DM'd by uh, Michael Zanke. So go check those out. Uh, really, really proud of the kind of storytelling that we're doing there. And, and I would love to hear your feedback. Yeah, a lot of people uh, were very positive uh, about um, Adventure Zone. We talked about Adventure Zone last week in The Parting Gift. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I never heard about it. I loved it. Uh, so good. It's, it's very good. But I, I was just shocked that people hadn't heard about it because I feel like everybody knows about that one. But if you like that, you'll definitely like uh, what the guys over at Gamers with Jobs are doing. Guys and gals, I should say. The gang over at G- Gamers with Jobs is doing. Yeah, the unmarked is honestly probably the best creative experience I've had in That's a long, awesome. long time, and I was lucky to be a part of it. That's super cool, Christian. How about you? Uh, what do you got going on this week? Well, you can check out my Marvel versus Capcom Infinite Story Mode review on my YouTube, Christian Spicer seven one three. The full playthroughs on my Twitch, and then um, this weekend I will be featuring uh, for Ryan Sickler down at the La Jolla Comedy Store in San Diego. Two shows Friday two shows Saturday and then it's still a ways out, but something out of LA. I will be at wise guys in Salt Lake city, December 14th, 15th, 16th and 17th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think with Justin Willman, who is just incredible. So I'm very excited for those shows. And also I feel bad. I didn't mention this at the top, man, Puerto Rico, uh, has just been devastated. So if you have some spare coin, instead of, throwing it my way for ALTMM or anything else you might do. I would, I would suggest finding a charity or aid uh, relief, something that you believe in and helping people down in Puerto Rico and anywhere that's been hurt by the tropical storms and hurricanes. I've just wrecked so many homes and families and lives. But as an, uh, as an American and with so many American citizens uh, suffering in Puerto Rico right now, I don't think it's getting the attention it deserves. So uh, it's crazy, that. man. Uh, they say their entire agriculture industry is gone. No food grown in Puerto Rico for the foreseeable future. That's insane. So yeah, anything you can do to help would be huge for them. Um, I have several other shows for you to check out, uh, including a daily video game show. If you want to hear me go into more detail about SteamWorld Dig and some other things, VR stuff that I'm playing, uh, check out that show. It's at newest, latest, best on uh, iTunes and Google Play, or you can find it at anchor.fm slash NLB. Uh, I also have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do the Slash Filmcast, talking about movies and TV over at slashfilmcast.com. All right, guys, let's uh, wrap this puppy up with a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Corey, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I've been reading a lot. Uh, awesome. Now that I'm commuting up to San Francisco, uh, I, I guess I could be playing Metroid on my 3DS, which is what I should be doing maybe. But I've been reading a lot, kind of rediscovering my love for the Kindle and sci-fi novels. And one of the best novels I've read in a long time is called Six Wakes by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, um, Mer Lafferty? No, it's Thanos. It's <laughs> Thanos Lafferty. Apologies. Uh, Six Wakes is this great whodunit mystery story about a crew 
on a, a spaceship who don't know why they're there, but have woken up from being cloned. Uh, and, and just kind of the way everything is woven together, it just, it was a fantastic read, uh, highly recommended. And I think it's, it's fairly affordable on Kindle, but if you, if you buy it in a dead tree version too, like you won't be able to put it down. Awesome. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Yeah. Friend of the show and friend IRL, the midnight, they have a new single out crystalline. It's great. If you liked the other stuff, they you'll got like a new this album, like, like in next week or the week after soon. Yeah. yeah Dropping in October. Um, and crystalline, it, it's really cool to see. It's not an evolution, but like, you know, the new take for the new album, it feels moodier. Uh, Tim's kind of described it as like neon Miami at night. Whereas, uh, the other one was more like, Southern California, kind of cruising with the in the drop top with the hair blowing, cruising USA, not cruising USA, whatever you know the game I'm talking about. Uh, Outrun, there it is. Uh, but the midnight new track is Crystalline, a new album dropping soon. I can't wait, man. I've been using uh, the midnight to show off my Sono system uh, because it sounds so good <laughs> on the Sono system that I just got. Uh, my well, first let's talk to a listener. Listener, this is from Mike. He said. Uh, I thought I'd submit a parting gift recommendation. It's an iOS game called Inks, and it's a beautiful indie pinball game with a splattery paint aesthetic that makes it feel unique. Think Zen Pinball meets Splatoon. Oh, by the way, he titled this. uh, Christian has to play this. Uh, He said, this comes from BAFTA award-winning developers, and it's the best iOS game I've played in uh, 2017. It's achingly beautiful and has such intelligent design. It's free at the moment and totally deserving of a download. It plays fast with small bite-sized levels. It's easy to get into, but difficult to master. It's a gem. So thanks, Mike. Uh, I actually checked this out this morning. I guess when you sent this, it was free, but it's not free now, but it's only three bucks. So, you know. Yeah, I just downloaded it. Looks looks gorgeous, doesn't it? Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, My parting gift, my wife and I have just started digging into the new Ken Burns documentary, Vietnam. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's just an incredible piece of work as all of his documentaries are. I know he partners with someone. I really feel bad. I can't remember her name. Um, but, uh, my goodness, talk about a way to learn history, to make history feel alive, uh, to see things that bear a direct one-to-one correlation to things that are happening now. It's an amazing thing. They got such incredible access to uh, music, to incredible footage that has never been seen before. It's like nothing else, and it will bring it to life, and it will make you realize how this all went down and what the country was going through in probably your parent or grandparents' lifetime. It is. This is not distant history. This is living history, and it's an incredible thing, an incredible thing. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Corey Banks and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room that hung out with us and made the show better in real time. We appreciate you guys. Uh, Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. And thank you to you for downloading the show and taking the time to listen to it. We do appreciate it. It means a lot. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.